1: to all of us. Join Hercules and Victus and crew as they seek answers to these and other timeless questions and serve Mount Olympus by safeguarding the path of mystic ascension. Welcome to the Pride of Olympus.
2: and welcome to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and prepare for a voyage of celestial exploration. I am greatly honored to announce our first segment, Disclosure Network with Nick, hosted by the legendary Nick Curdo. Tonight, his guest is Marcy J. Gordon, and they'll be exploring Marcy's unique journey. Greetings and welcome, Mr. Curdo. How are you?
3: Well, never better, Hercules. Thank you so much for your wonderful introduction. I'm quite humbled by it and looking very much forward to our next hour.
2: I pass the Scepter of Zeus to you, and I'll be listening attentively.
3: Thank you. Uh, The program, again, is Disclosure Network with Nick. And I'm Nick Curdo, co-founder and director of Disclosure Network New York. DNNY is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan in the West Village. Our motto right from day one is, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. And that is exactly what we do at DNNY. We focus on cutting-edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, as well as many important and related subjects from a wide variety of sources as we go deep, really deep into these exciting and sometimes misunderstood items. Um, we have uh, aggressively uh, created uh, uh, mainstream, mainstream communication with a wide variety of people worldwide And they report to us their findings, and we share them on the Internet. Um, We go into topics that are very misunderstood items that the mainstream press will not disclose at all, and in fact, aggressively create diversions away from the truth. Our members do intensive investigative research into these various topics and share that information with the group at our meetings and with our Internet followers as well. We have available to everyone worldwide the DNNY News Blast email service. Focusing on these topics of special interest to us all, and that, the good news is, is totally free to everyone. Just visit our website, which is dnny.info, and type in your email address where it's asked for. Uh, that will get you connected directly with us. Many hundreds of people have already signed up for the service, and more are joining every day. Again, it's offered by DNNY, and it's totally free. Uh, the website, one more time, is dnny.info. Okay, our featured guest for this podcast tonight is my very good friend and colleague, Marcy Gordon. Marcy, a very warm welcome to you.
4: Thank you so much, Nick, and thank you, Hercules, for having me on the show.
3: You know, Marcy, I've been looking forward to this interview ever since you agreed to do it, and here we are. And uh, I want to start off just briefly with a little bit more about you. Um, uh, Marcy uh, Gordon uh, has been singing and playing a variety of musical instruments since she was six years old. She is also a visual artist, an actor, an award-winning writer, songwriter, a stand-up comedian, a healer, and a professional psychic. Marcy is also a highly experienced technologically intellectual property and general commercial contracts attorney and technology contracts procurer professional with over 16 years of, of experience with a large Wall Street firms. Uh, so, in, in, uh, you know through a near-death experience in infancy, which I want to go to Marcy in a second, Marcy has two certificates of Reiki and three certifications in ARCH, which is Ancient Rainbow Consciousness Healing. She is a certified ARC master. Marcy That is a great deal of activity in your life so far, my friend.
4: And I'm a terrific
3: cook. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. Now, I'd like to start off from the very beginning so our listeners may get some idea of your life so far. So briefly, let me ask you first, where were you born?
4: I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Mark Twain said, once you leave New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, every other city in America is in Bridgeport, Connecticut.
3: Wow. Yes, okay. Now, were you from a our, big, big family? I grew up
4: in West. I grew up in Westport. I was born in Bridgeport, but I grew up in Westport.
3: Oh, okay, okay. And uh, did you uh, were you from a big family with brothers and sisters or not?
4: Uh, not a big family. I have two sisters. I'm in the middle.
3: Oh, that's pretty big. And um, from there, uh, let me see. I wanted to ask you about your just briefly about your parents, your mom and dad.
4: Okay. What, what were they them? like?
3: Well, just what were they like? Were they encouraging to you? Were they what? Well, what were they like?
4: Well, they were they were um, very crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. All right. <laughs> Is that that could be good?
4: Well, it, it wasn't for me. I mean, they were. They thought that by being abusive, that they were somehow helping me. But you know. Oh. Just,
3: oh, oh, oh. 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 That's a different story. Oh dear. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, that, it was, that's but it, not
4: a it good made, idea. It made me hyper-observant. They also, they didn't understand me at all. They they couldn't understand, you know, I mean, at a young age, if my, I expressed a belief that was different from theirs, I, they would hit me and scream at me because, you know, they, being extreme narcissists, they wanted me to be a perfect narcissistic reflection of them, and I was not capable of that. I'm much too much of an individualist, and I was... Much too much of a mystic. So there were certain truths that I just knew, and I just couldn't, you know, couldn't get them to understand that I was not like all the other children.
3: Wow. Wow. That, that's a lot to handle at an early age. Um, uh, but maybe on some level it made you grow, perhaps. Oh, it made
4: me very, made me very strong, and it made me hyper observant because. I was in a constant state of fight or flight. I never knew when I was going to get yelled at or hit for what to me was no apparent reason. I mean, I can remember so many times as a child thinking, that's what they wanted? Why couldn't they just tell me that? Why did they have to yell at me? Why did they have Mm -hmm. to hit me? It wasn't until well into adulthood I realized that because they were so narcissistic, they did not see me as a separate person. They saw me as an extension of them. So they thought if they knew something, I knew it because they didn't really – have boundaries I wasn't Mm. allowed to have so it's been a long and difficult journey toward wholeness I can tell you that much
3: yeah Yeah, well that I can understand and uh, then again it also prompted you to be more individual and to think for yourself which is so obvious to me since I've known you so in, in that way in that way perhaps it was a catalyst that led you to who you are today, which is which is quite amazing. Um, oh, there's a couple other quick questions. Your schooling or where you studied, just briefly, could you give us that, please?
4: Well, I went to public school in Westport, Connecticut, and then I went to college at a very interesting and rigorous liberal arts college called Swarthmore, which is, was founded by Quakers, and it's known for its pacifism, it's known for its intellectual rigor, and it's known for its rugged spirit of individualism. So it's hardly a surprise that when I went to pick a school, I went to pick a school like that. Also, I became aware of Swarthmore as a child um, because, do you remember College Bowl? Remember that show? It was a quiz show in the 60s. It was basically yes. an advertisement. For colleges, but the, the college teams from different schools would compete. Swarthmore right. was the only Swarthmore was the only school to get kicked off of College Bowl
0: because <laughs> they wouldn't
4: because they wouldn't stop winning. The, wow. They were after five times in a row. They just declared them undefeated champions because the advertisers were starting to get nervous that they would lose viewership. Like, well, what's going on in College Bowl? Let's just. Swarthmore beating the pants off of everyone again. But it wasn't the fact that they kept winning that so impressed my 10-year-old mind. It was the way they kept winning. First of all, the Swarthmore teams didn't dress up. So like the Princeton team, the guys were all in suits and ties and white shirts, and they're (laughs) sitting up straight, competitive, and they're trying to win. The Swarthmore people were in khakis and button-down Oxford shirts and... And when the camera was on the other teams, the teams would be sitting up straight and staring at the camera. When the camera was on the Swarthmore team, they were ignoring the camera. They were joking and laughing among them. You could tell from their body language they were very relaxed. And I thought, super intelligent, non-competitive people who just want to have fun. I mean, you could see the whole thing was a goof to them.
0: Yep. And I thought,
4: thought, those are my people. And then years went by, and I sort of forgot about the name of the school, but when I was a junior in high school, I I carpooled to school with a friend of mine who was a senior. She was complaining to me that she wanted to go down to Pennsylvania to look at Bryn Mawr, which is a a nearby college, and her mother wouldn't take her and wouldn't let her go by herself. I said, well, it's no big deal to go to Bryn Mawr. You take the Amtrak train to 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and then you get on the suburban train, the Paoli Local lets you right off on campus. She said, you've been there? I said, no, but I, I have, you know, I've been to Paoli on the train by, by myself. I have friends there. So she said, well, my mother won't let me go by myself, but she'll let me go with you. So I thought, well, okay, sure. You know, I'm a junior. It's not too soon for me to start looking at colleges. So we went down mm-hmm. there, and her older sister had transferred to Swarthmore. So after her interview at Bryn Mawr, her sister picked us up and took us over to Swarthmore where we spent the night. Well, we arrived there. It was dark. And uh, we had quite the adventure. We wandered into the little village while amusing ourselves, and, and there was a Methodist church. The door was open, and we walked in just as a choir rehearsal was starting. We went up to the choir director and said, Hi, you know, we're just in town for the night, and, uh, you know, we're trained musicians. I'm a soprano, she's an alto. Can we just sit and read through your rehearsal? And I'm like, Sure. So, you know, our first night there, you know, our only night there, choir rehearsal. But then in the morning, when I saw the campus in the daylight, I realized where I was because in, in in the middle of the College Bowl show at halftime, they would roll little clips of the campus and say a little bit about it. So I had five times seen this campus on the hill. I'm like, oh my God, this is that school that kept beating everybody while they were having fun and they didn't care about winning and they didn't dress up. So I promised myself that the following year I was going to have an interview and and I said, okay, if they take me, I'm going. So that was quite the... That's but, you know, it's a known great
0: story. For, oh, boy. It's
4: known for its radical activism and its passivism and its individualism and its creativity and its eccentricity. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they would, people would do things like have a... They they called it the crumb regatta. There was a creek in the crumb woods behind the campus. And, you know, the engineers built a cement canoe. You know, people would... <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just... <laughs> It was really, really, really... I mean, people worked really hard, but they also entertained themselves in very creative ways. So, you know, they they would have creative invective contests. You know, it was really fun.
3: So So that that was the perfect place. I mean, that is just fitting you like a glove. And how wonderful you found that. It was
4: the very place. You know, before school started, you know, and you're a freshman, you're there for a few days getting oriented. I remember I had... A, a recorder, a bu- some books of recorder music, and I made friends with another recorder player, and we sat there on the lawn, you know, reading through it was Elizabethan recorder music. It was just that kind of a place.
0: Wow! And of course, it was yeah.
4: so you could get really good acid. <laughs> hmm
3: Well, uh, that that's so wonderful that that happened in your life that way. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Now I got to go now to. Marcy, you know this as well as anybody, Uh, things are exploding. The news is nonstop on just about every level you can think of. And this is just even a lot of work every day just to keep up with the explosions that are happening all around us on scientific uh, areas, on political areas. And so we're not going to have enough time. I know this for this one hour, but let's just start on the tip of your mind right now. Uh, give us some idea what what kinds of what kind of issues uh, are, are you right now on top of and really interested in?
4: Okay, well, Pluto is in retrograde right now, and when pluto's retrograde, the truth comes out about very powerful people. So one of the stories I have been all over and trying to get as much information as I can is of course, this Jeffrey Epstein scandal because this could take down the whole power structure. They're all involved in this. Oh, yeah. This whole planet is run by pedophiles. And the Pleiadians told that to Barbara Marciniak back in the 90s. She published a book called Bringers of the Dawn, where the Pleiadians that she channeled had said, you know, this planet is run by pedophiles. And, and of course, Stanley Kubrick was murdered for making a film about that, Eyes Wide Shut, where he was basically a documentary about the satanic rituals of the cabal And another thing I'm all over is this whole insane transhumanism agenda. You know, they want to turn us into extend our lives by turning us into cyborgs. And there's a very disturbing story that broke this week out of Japan where the Japanese scientists were given permission to grow human organs inside animals. Now,
3: I saw that. I saw that Uh, in the news. I couldn't believe that. Here we go. Right. See, but
4: the, the because the. The mentality, of course, the news commentators like, well, what about rights? What about the animal rights? What about the right? But that's not the issue. The issue is human beings are not biological machines composed of certain parts. And what this insane idea fails to take into consideration is the fact that consciousness extends the molecular level. That's why when someone has a heart transplant, they go through personality changes. Why? Yep. Because it's yep. on the consciousness of the person whose heart that was. Someone will get a new heart, and all of a sudden they have a passion for a kind of ethnic food they never liked before, or a passion for a certain kind of music they never cared about, or the ability to play an instrument. Why? Because all of those things belong to the passions and love and consciousness of the person whose heart they have. So if you grow a human heart inside a pig, and you put that heart in a person... They're going to have the consciousness of a pig.
0: I mean, it's insane. And and what it does, it's
4: designed, this whole transhumanistic agenda is designed to reduce human consciousness because the more machine parts you have, the less human consciousness, the less empathy, the less compassion, the less of everything that makes us human. Because we are not just, you know, consciousness, all of Western psychology is based on a false premise. The idea that the sole locus of consciousness is the brain and the body, it's not. Consciousness is partially in the body and largely in the soul. But the the Western science doesn't want to look at that, doesn't want to understand how these things come together. I mean, it, I laugh every time I flip the dials and I see some astrophyses complaining about... Um, dark matter. Oh, it's 96 percent of the universe. We can measure it, but we can't see it. We don't know what it is. Yeah, dude, it's the spirit world, because we know that electricity has mass. Right? If e-, e equals yep. MC squared, then energy yep. is a form of matter, and matter is a form of energy. And that's why every ghost hunting show on television, there is someone who has a device measuring for the presence of electromagnetic energy to measure the presence of spirits. But we have been cut off because the aliens have messed with our consciousness so that not everyone can perceive those other dimensions. I mean, we have the potential, but some just as some people are born with more artistic ability or more math capability or more musical ability based on the knowledge in their souls. So too some people are have better ability to access the spirit world and other dimensions, which is a natural human ability that gets socialized out of us. You know, like a lot of times children are told, oh, oh, that's your imaginary friend. No, a lot of these children are seeing spirits. It's not imaginary at all. Years ago, I was visiting some friends who had a young child, and I said to the mother, you know, does your son have this imaginary friends that he describes, blah, blah, blah. And I did, And she looked at me like, how do you know that? I said, because that being is not imaginary. I just saw him. <laughs> Your child is seeing a spirit. But then, you know, the, because we live in this culture that's so conformist, you know, you tell a child these things aren't real. After a while, they stop believing in them. That's right. So I was, you know, I mean, as a child, I would go out in the backyard early in the morning and I would hear the, the trees talking to me and the animals talking to me and then I'd lost it for many years because I was told oh you know trees and animals don't communicate with us well guess what they do
0: yes they do get,
4: they absolutely do I mean my house plants tell me what temperature they want the water and, wow. and they tell me what kind of music they like there's certain house plants do not like heavy metal music except that my plants do like the first garbage album but other than that <laughs>
3: You know, I had a I had a job as a freelance artist, and uh, one of the producer also produced records, and he had some records, and it was music for your plants, and they had a music that they uh, had tested that the plants responded to, and they also put some, um, you couldn't human ears couldn't hear it, but there were other sounds on the track that with the music, and the the plants were responding really well, so. There you go. And that was like 30 years ago that 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 technology was being explored. So what you're saying is absolutely true.
4: No, there's scientific research that proves that certain kinds of music enhance the glucose content of corn. That's why out in Iowa, they've got speakers in the cornfields playing two kinds of music, classical music and Indian ragas.
3: Oh, I never knew that, really.
4: Yeah, they've figured out that certain types of music actually increase the, the sugar content of the corn and, and it makes the corn grow faster and happier and, because plants have feelings, too. This is the thing that has always bothered me since I was a child. People think that plants are lower forms of consciousness. Well, guess what? Plants are the only creatures on this planet that can take sunlight, and turn it into food. That's why they're the basis of the food chain. Are we smart enough to do that? I mean, we're just starting to do that in the laboratory, but we can't do it anywhere near the rate the plants do. So who are we to think we're superior to the plants? That's mm-hmm. why shamans all over the planet have used certain hallucinogenic and entheogenic substances to communicate with the plants to get higher wisdom because it communicates knowledge
3: to us. Also, I read recently that uh, trees communicate with each other, and if there is uh, some uh, threat, such as a fire or something like that, they they can actually communicate down the line with other with other trees, like a, almost like a warning, like something is wrong. That's incredible. We're just beginning well, to yeah, really, I... as you're saying, we're just beginning to understand what's really around us. Well, yeah, and
4: remember the trees have their roots in the ground. That's why the redwood forest out in California is actually one giant organism because they're all connected underground. So they're, they're connected telepathically, vibrationally, because they are highly conscious beings. They are not dumb. You know, people think... You know, people make jokes, you know, like, dumb is a houseplant. Well, no, houseplants are not
3: dumb. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, when I was out there to California and we went to a beautiful redwood forest and the atmosphere, the, the vibe I was getting was so incredible. And when we, we went to this gigantic redwood tree and I looked at it and if I had to go up to it and give it a huge hug.
4: I just yeah. knew well, you... I
3: had to do that.
4: Well, you get energy from that because they, they respond to our energy. That's, again, in this culture, people denigrate tree huggers, but tree hugging is a wonderful way to raise your vibration.
3: Yes, absolutely right. And I just, I, you know, of course, I couldn't get my arms around it because it was such a gigantic tree, but I just felt such a vibe from that. And it was so wonderful and healing. I, I really did feel that.
4: Yeah, it's. People are just now, I mean, it's taken till the 21st century for scientists to figure out that, gee whiz, animals have emotions. Like, duh, I mean, some of us who've been, you know, in love with our pets since we were children know full well animals have emotions. You know, I saw something the other day said, well, animals can't feel love. The yes, they can. They absolutely can, and they respond to it. And a lot of animals I've known are a lot more loving than certain people I've known.
3: That's really true, that is absolutely true. You nailed it. I want to get back just briefly with Epstein because did you read about the fact that he wanted to have his DNA circulated by hundreds of for hundreds of women by impregnating them? Did you read that?
4: I read that I also read that he wanted his head and penis preserved cryogenically.
3: Oh I, I mean, it, oh, this... really oh wow oh, yeah.
4: I didn't send you that article. Oh this man's ego is out of control.
3: You couldn't insane. write anything. like right. You couldn't write a science fiction and, and with this kind of uh, storyline. It, it gets wilder, as you well know, every single day. It gets more and more. And that whole idea that he wanted to impregnate hundreds of women so that their children would have his DNA, and he said that would upstep the, uh, the, the human uh, chain to do that with his DNA. I mean, think of what he was trying to do, and he had all the money in the world to do it. Thank God he didn't succeed.
4: Okay, everybody out of the Epstein gene pool.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You could do a Saturday Night Live skit and kill with that.
4: Oh, It's it's really frightening. And, of course, it's clear that, When they said he belongs to intelligence, it isn't just CIA. I think he's Mossad. I mean, the man has resources that are just And here's the thing. How did a 20-year-old with no college degree get to teach math and physics at the upscale, posh, exclusive Dalton School? That's a violation of state law. Not only do you have to have a college degree, you need a college degree in order to even apply for a teaching license. So how did mm-hmm. that happen? Who was the headmaster who hired him there? Oh, Donald Barr, Bill Barr's father. Ah. Yeah. I mean, th- there's something funky from day one in all this. And, of course, he was behaving inappropriately with the girls at that school then. Mm-hmm. I love what Stephen Colbert said. Apparently, he would, when he was at the Dalton School, he would walk around in a fur coat with Open neck shirt and gold chains and and Colbert said what was he teaching pimping.
3: <laughs> oh why well, I, well, I didn't hear that one. That's incredible. Oh my! The vision alone is it's just oh, challenging, I'm, really challenging. It's just that the story goes on and the people that he was associated with and major levels is is the top people in the world, all the big. Uh, uh, money people, the political people that he has touched and there's a lot more to that story I I know Uh, was was there another agenda with his uh, kind of uh, uh, kissing up to all these major people worldwide
4: okay well there there are a number of agendas one is obviously he was running a a honey trap operation to blackmail because he had cameras everywhere to blackmail people which is what intelligence agencies love to do. The CIA and the Mossad specialize in that. I think there was also a whole lot of money laundering going on because Ghislaine Maxwell was one of the daughters of the late Robert Maxwell, who was a Czechoslovakian Jew and a Mossad asset, right? He was a megabucks publisher, but he was all set up in the Mossad. He died under mysterious circumstances, falling off of his yacht and drowning and clearly the man was assassinated. I've, I've, and it, some, it probably had to do with the fact that there was a change in his financial f- fortunes. But then supposedly the story is that she's Lane was so, you know, upset that she came to New York to be with her friend Jeffrey Epstein, and she went into the upscale real estate business. That's how you launder money. Real estate's one of the best ways to launder money. Well,
0: and, of course, she was – can...
4: You know, and she was his procurer, and you know, and also she was also abusing the girls too. She was training them and also having sex with them, and I mean, the whole thing is just so sordid and so sick. But what most people don't realize is the scale of sex trafficking. There's sex trafficking going on right here in my neighborhood in Crown Heights. You know, it's going on all over the city. Yes, you know, these these criminal enterprises, recruit these high school girls, and then they send them out into the high schools to recruit the prettiest girls. And, of course, they're underprivileged and they're poor, and, you know, this guy will pay you to do this, and the next thing you know, they're trafficked. And even if the parents find out about it, they haven't got the resources to fight these people legally. They're too big and
3: and too powerful, and they can't begin to think how they're going to do it. That is such a nightmare on so many levels, and it hurts so many lives.
4: Yes, and That's one of the good things to come out of the Me Too movement is that now, finally, women are starting to be taken seriously because before it was just something that women were expected to put up with.
3: Sexual harassment
4: and violation.
3: Insane. Insane. We're finally, after so many, how many hundreds of years, thousands of years, we're just beginning to get to a place that Finally, we, we we were we have to get to which is equal on every level. There is uh, equal pay, e- equal treatment, everything, and and that's that's the the way it should be. And it's we're just now it's and it's still not uh, worldwide. We're a long, long ways from that goal, as, as you we're know. Long long ways, oh long my God! From that
4: goal right in the U.S. one of the worst offenders are the U.S. military. Women get assaulted. I mean, over half of the women in the military have been assaulted. And guess what? The ones that do complain, they get demoted while their harassers get promoted, or they're told, oh, you shouldn't complain because, you know, think what it will do to his career. All right, you no. got raped. You're not supposed to say anything because of his career. What about your feelings? Well, look at this fellow who's being um, considered for the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And there's a woman with very credible evidence that he assaulted her, and there was a thorough investigation. But you know, it's it's crazy. They just you know and she, you know, they, and they they say, well, you know, where's the evidence? Well, you know what? There is no witness when a woman gets raped, unless right. it's Jeffrey Epstein's filming everything. But you know, to 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 just say, oh well, you know, it didn't happen. Or I mean, there were women in. Iraq during the Gulf War, who died of thirst because they didn't want to get up in the middle of the night to go fill their canteens because they were going to get raped by their fellow officers. And if they reported it, they would get demoted while while their assailants got praised. I mean, it's it's profoundly sick. The military has got a very huge problem with that, and they don't seem interested in solving it.
3: Well, that's that's so embarrassing on so many levels and so wrong. And uh, do you think that in the it, that it's it's going to be coming to a head and that's going to have to be investigated and stopped, Cole? Do you feel as though we're on that track?
4: Well, I think it's related to a lot of things. First of all, you know, there's a lot of pornography in the military. That you know, there's a lot of rape of um, enemy women as well as their own women, and is it comes with a militaristic consciousness, and, it, you know, was rape is considered a tool of... I mean, look at Pete Buttigieg, you know, like, oh, well, we shouldn't have assault rifles here, but it's perfectly fine to use them in other countries in the military to go kill people. I mean, that's a psychopathic viewpoint. We need... You know, you don't achieve peace with a violent militaristic consciousness. You achieve peace with a peaceful consciousness. And I think that this is a larger issue. War doesn't make anything better. It only makes everything worse. And we need yep. to the military to purely defensive, because we call it the Department of Defense, but it's not. It's the Department of Offense. That's why certain candidates in the past, starting with Dennis Kucinich and I think Chelsea, um, what's her name, Tulsi Gabbard, is advocating for this, create a Department of Peace. I think Marianne Williamson has also said that. Because we need... Diplomacy is much more effective than war, but this country is run by the war profiteers. If we're so about peace, then why do we manufacture and sell more than half the world's arms? It's insane. Well, are well, exactly
3: sick. right, because war, war is a very, very good business. Trillions of dollars are made for war. If we don't have war, if we have peace, then those, those companies and corporations that are in the business of war lose money. So the only thing they can do is to do everything they can to promote war on many levels. And that's exactly what we've been living with for how many hundreds of years?
4: Well, General Smedley Butler, when Roosevelt was president, said war is a racket. And they market it to us. They market it in the children's cartoons. They market it in the television and the movies. They glorify it as if it's somehow a good and glorious thing. There's nothing glorious about war. And this is the mentality of the cabal. Hitler didn't want war. It was Churchill who wanted war because he's descended from Lord Mountbatten, and he had this psychopathic viewpoint that war was somehow glorious. There is no, nothing glorious about war. It, it, it's brutality. It's inhuman. And that's why I'm really excited that Germany and France are refusing to go along with what Donald Trump wants to do in the Straits of Hormuz. They do not want a war with Iran. And meanwhile, Israel's happily attacking Iranian outposts in Iraq and other places because Israel wants to steal all of the land in the whole Middle East. Mm -hmm. And yet the country is so run by Zionists. I'm sorry?
3: Yeah, that's right.
4: I mean, I got shot down at a a new left forum years ago for saying, look, the, the fundamental issue Of everything that activists are fighting for should be campaign finance reform because the entire u.s. government the congress has been taken over at all levels by zionists well i got shouted down as an anti-semite which is first of all not the proper word for jew hating because there are plenty of semites who aren't jews and plenty of jews who aren't semites and i said whoa time out who said anything about jews I said Zionist, and as a non-Zionist Jew, I know exactly how Zionism contributes to Jew hatred. It, the, the UN rightly condemned it years ago as racism and bigotry, and the, the U.S. withheld funds for years until they took that resolu- until they rescinded that resolution. That resolution was correct, and yet so many people just knee-jerk. You know, when they just? Boycotting has always been a legitimate activist tool, but now they want to outlaw boycotting the the BDS movement in Israel to help the Palestinians. Palestinians have had their lands systematically stolen. And the Palestinians are the legitimate owners of that land. They've been on that land for generations. And the irony is that the, the Israeli Zionists are claiming, based on ancient scriptures, that this is their land. Virtually none of those people have any ancestry there. They are the descendants of Khazarian Jews who were converts in the 8th century because their opium-addicted king didn't want to get involved in the war between the Christians and the Muslims, so he said, okay, everybody's going to convert to Judaism. And they're the immigrants. You know. The late Zachariah Sitchin characterized himself as a Palestinian Jew because he was a Jew who was born before the state of Israel and what was then Palestine. And in those days, the Jews living there got along with everyone because they were real Jews. But the, the insanity, the way people have been brainwashed here, that if you say anything against Israel, you're anti-Semitic, you're a Jew hater. No. Criticism of Israel is necessary because the Mossad tells the CIA what to do, and that relates to the Jeffrey Epstein thing as a Mossad and CIA agent. Because the Mossad people. are trying to... Blackmail
3: everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big vehicles that they use. And um, it's just, thank God, Marcy, that it's beginning to now all come out uh, day by day. Uh, they, these are explosive issues that are being finally uh, discovered and put out in the in the various media. And of course, the alternative media, which is doing a more in-depth uh, reporting of what's going on. But th- this is just hopefully going to really blow the lid off of all that has been going on that you've been talking about. And these are all related subjects, as you just said.
4: But there still isn't enough coming out. For example, the average person in this country does not know that Israel has been using trained snipers to shoot Palestinian teenagers at peaceful demonstrations. That, my friend, is a war crime. It's a crime against humanity. And yet, have you seen that in the mainstream media?
3: No, no not, not at all. Nope.
4: And and it's barely in the alternative media. I mean, this is these things are horrific, and yet people in this country have been brainwashed by the Zionist control of the media. And it's got to be, people have got to stand up and wake up and speak out about it. And so many, as a teenager, I always thought that I was the only Jew in this country that got it. And, of course, like a lot of assimilated Jews in this country, I was raised... You no, know, Israel was the victim, and that Rose, Golda Meir was a great hero to our people. And this fell apart for me in the spring of 1973. I was a junior in high school, and I was home from school. I was watching the Today Show. It was a, it was a vacation. I was watching the Today Show, and the guest was Golda Meir, whom I had been raised to think, "Oh, this is a great hero to our people." And the interviewer asked her, what about a homeland for the Palestinians? And she behaved like a three-year-old. She said, the Jews waited 2,000 years for a homeland. The Palestinians can wait 2,000 years, too. And I Wow.
3: Didn't. Oh, my God. Um, really? She said that? Wow.
4: She said that, and I freaked out, and I turned off the television set, and I said, this woman is no hero of mine. She's nothing but a garden-variety bigot. And then I began to research for myself the history, and I found out about the Balfour Declaration and how... Basically, Britain carved everything up to keep the various Arab factions fighting with each other and just gave away land that wasn't theirs to give away and the, and the whole, and started questioning everything I'd ever been taught about Israel. And you think our press is controlled. I've been to Israel, and their press is even more controlled. Their people are even more brainwashed. And I'll give you an example. I mean, I never had a desire to go there because of the horrific way the Palestinians are treated. But some of my favorite cousins made Aliyah and moved over there. And in the early 90s, I wanted to go visit some of my family. Now, they were trying to tell me things that were totally different than what I was seeing with my own eyes. They said, don't, don't go to the, to the Arab quarter of the old city in Jerusalem because it's dangerous and there'll be Palestinians throwing rocks at you. Well, I knew that was BS. So I went in and I ended up befriending some people from the largest merchant family in uh, in the Palestinian community, and I found myself in the back of the, uh, the introduced to the man who is the premier Bedouin art dealer and a, a, gr- a pillar of the community. His, I had met the, his nephew. His nephew showed me a photograph of him, and I do psychic readings from photographs, and I said, "Oh, you know, your uncle is very well. He's a real pillar of your community." People will come to him to resolve disputes before they'll go to the courts. And he smiled from ear to ear. He said, okay, I'm going to take you to go meet my uncle. And I was there at sundown, and after having this lovely talk over tea, the uncle said, okay, it's it's time for us to pray. Come with me to the back of my store. Let us pray together for world peace. This was my experience of the Palestinians. Well, all the Jews I met there said, don't trust the Palestinians. They just want to convert you to their politics. Which is, in fact, projection, because that's what the Jews there want to do. Well, now, my cousin Betsy, who I was visiting, who I adore, had been living in, in Jerusalem for eight years, and I wanted to go to the Garden Tomb, you know, the historical site. Well, she'd never been there because it's a, quote, Christian holy site, and she only does, quote, Jewish stuff. But uh-huh. it, it turned out that she had to go to that part of town because the embassy was there, and she did and in order to preserve the dual citizenship of her children, she had to file some paperwork. So she said, you're in luck, you know, we'll go, you know, I'll go do my business at the embassy and then we'll go to the garden too. Well, she was shaking with fear the whole ride there behind the wheel of her car because she had been brainwashed by the Zionist press to believe that this part of town was very dangerous over in East Jerusalem, that it was very dangerous and that there would be Palestinians throwing rocks at us. And, of course, we got there, and it was perfectly safe. It was ordinary middle-class Palestinians going about their business. She looked at me. She said, nobody here wants to hurt us. I'm like, no. Did you learn something? And then she got another shock because when we went to the garden tomb, her jaw dropped. and She said, Marcy, this is the most beautiful place in all of Jerusalem, and I would never have seen it but for you. I'm like, are you learning anything? But But they don't. You know, they believe what they want to believe, you know. Uh, and her sister, who lives on a Mashav, you know, I can't even discuss Israeli politics with them. They are so, you know, they're so offended that, you know, when that Palestinians published a, a a cartoon labeling the Wailing Wall Wall of Hate. I said, yeah, but, you know, when you have Knesset members saying from the floor of Knesset that the Palestinians are vermin to be exterminated, you got to accept this. I said, are you aware that Israelis are... Israeli Jews are filling their swimming pools while the Palestinians are being denied water in which to bathe. No, so that's lies. That's lies. That's not true. Well, I was getting this information from journalists who would actually been there, but they, they just – and at the time that we had this conversation, while we were still discussing these things, we finally agreed out of our love for each other we wouldn't. I said, believe it or not, I'm trying to help you because the generation in Germany during World War II – the good Germans who supported Hitler, when they found out the truth of what Hitler was doing, they were overwhelmed with shame and guilt for the rest of their lives. And this is mm-hmm. what's going to happen to you when the truth comes out about what Israel is really doing and what you are supporting. And that reckoning I, it has to come sooner than later, because Israel is turning itself into a pariah state. It's a failed state. It hasn't even declared its borders. And it has hundreds of nuclear weapons. It's never let the inspectors in, is not signed any nuclear treaties. I mean, the real danger in the Middle East isn't Iran, which doesn't have a single nuclear weapon. It's Israel. But try saying that in the media here. They don't want to hear that. You know, that mm-hmm. people call you an anti-Semite and, you know, like <laughs> please, it's ridiculous. Well, no, what it's you're not... saying is
3: true. Unfortunately, it, it, is, it is true. And it's sad because when you blind people, totally... Uh, actively blind people to the truth and then give them what you want them to believe which is not the truth how dangerous is that it goes all over the place and it's it's wrong and it's it's got to be stopped because we need a more sane world and we don't need
0: yeah,
3: well, we don't need the war uh, threats con- constantly for all of our lives There's there's bigger things there's bigger issues here that we do need we need more love we need more understanding and communication, not less. And that's what you're basically saying, I believe.
4: Of course. But, you know, the two biggest purveyors of state terror on this planet are the United States and Israel. And that needs to be said, and it needs people need to wake up. I think the good news is that a, a lot of uh, Jews in this country are finally starting to figure it out. I mean, I'm not the only one. Um, and that's, that's good. There needs to be more, and I think there are more every day. But people are still so
0: brainwashed. Just, yeah. just
4: you know
3: there's a, there's a, a big movement as you well know and that's to get to the truth of what really happened on 9/11 and who is behind it. And if it is revealed and in some cases people are saying that it's it's definitely a fact that the Mossad is is up to their ears in in this and that's gonna be a huge turnaround on many, many levels and I think that yes, in remember the, next the five year, dancing Israelis? Yeah.
4: Yeah, saying, yeah. Oh, you know, Palestine's your problem. No, the Palestinians are not the problem. And even okay, my ninety two year old father, who is highly intelligent, has had multiple careers in medicine, but I remember back in the nineties saying to him, you know, the latest atrocity against Palestinian civilians I said, Dad, how can you how can you justify this? He said, Well, Six million Jews were, I said, first of all, it isn't six million, it's three million. No scholar can find any support for the six million number, including Jewish scholars. And secondly, the Palestinians had nothing to do with what Hitler did. So how can you justify atrocities against Palestinian civilians? I mean, in some ways, the Israelis are worse. I mean, I don't remember Hitler going in and bombing people in their homes. You know, I mean, it's, it's destroying their olive trees and killing their pets. And it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, I lost you know,
3: family. Not in, crazy.
4: Yeah, it is. I mean I lost family in the Holocaust. I, I had my dad had a first cousin who was a concentration camp survivor, had numbers tattooed on his wrist. I mean I I'm not a Holocaust denier by any stretch of the imagination, but I believe that the truth has been exaggerated and, and again, Jews have used this for their victimhood. As a percentage of their total population, Hitler annihilated far more Roma people than he did Jews. But nobody talks about the the genocide against the Roma.
3: No, not at all. Good point. So there's a lot there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of there's a lot of news that's com- coming out, and I think that in the next six months to a year, we're going to have explosive amounts of of new uh, information that's going to change the minds of a lot of people. And uh, well, it's hope- really also an exciting time, Marcy. I think you'll agree that this has lots of potential here, don't you think?
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when the truth comes out about the fact that the Clinton Foundation is a criminal enterprise that existed for child sex trafficking and money laundering and bribery, and a lot of people don't don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe that Hillary Clinton committed treason by selling 20% of our uranium supply to the Russians in exchange for a $145 million donation to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, people do not want to believe that Disney was supplying children to Epstein Island, but there it was. They had a, a cruise where you'd go snorkeling. At, at, I mean, and that's why the, you know, they, the kids were being handed off. You know, they would take them out of submarines underneath the boats and put them into the underground. That's why there are all those underground passages.
3: That right, I saw ago. that. I saw that. So, why would they do that? Why would they dig so deep with these underground passages unless there was a but lot of hiding to be done, right? And that's what it was for.
4: Right, so that nothing could be seen from the satellite. And a yep. few years ago, it was announced that the tunnels were being filled in with cement on Little St. James Island.
3: Mm-hmm. So what, what is that about? I mean, think of, the, think of the effort and the money that would go into just that. So you're thinking, what in the world were they, were they, are they trying to hide that they would go to that length?
4: Well, somebody needs to go down there with ground penetrating radar and lidar technology because I'm sure there are graveyards full, of catacombs down there, full of children's bones you know there was a lot of ritual sacrifice going on there and the average you see the scale of the depravity of the ruling class is beyond what the average person can comprehend they're, they're just now getting it oh god maybe these, the world really is run by pedophiles but most people their heads explode what do you mean they they kill children and eat them well they do and that, remember we still haven't seen the fallout from the anthony Weiner laptop which has videos of stuff that went on and yep. Epstein's
3: Island. Yeah, that's a really a good point. And, and why? And why happened? And- who was who was um, who was stopping that from happening? Um, how did that somehow just stop when we were looking at that, looking at the computer, and all of a sudden it seemed like the, the plug was pulled out from that investigation.
4: Well, I, I, it wasn't, because when the NYPD saw that it was on there, and here are these hardened NYPD detectives weeping at their computers looking at this stuff. When they handed it over to the FBI, they said, you better do something about this, or we will. But I think that, and, and this is sheer speculation, but I think that the Trump just is holding on to this until closer to the 2020 election. They're holding on to it for political reasons.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you might have a really good point there, because that would be dynamite.
4: Yeah, and you know, try any Democrat running against that. Of course, the Democrats are busy in their usual circular firing squad. The Democrats want to have any hope getting elected to move farther to the left. idiot's saying, oh, you can't be too progressive. You know, how do you pay for Medicare for all? Well, look at the research. Medicare for all is the cheapest option. That's why I knew when Barack Obama said single payers off the table, well, oh, he was obviously working for the cabal, because it's, it's the most economically sensible, and it's the best for everyone. And for these stupid Democrats are saying, oh, you know, you've got to be more moderate. No, they don't understand the extent to which the average person is hurting in this country, and a lot of the re- people are going bankrupt because of their medical bills. People want Medicare for all, especially since it's the best use of our tax dollars. And they do not want more than half the budget going to the military to kill people in foreign countries and create, you know, more and more and more nuclear weapons that can destroy the Earth many times over. I mean, what a waste. And wait till they find out how much of our money is going into the secret space program that we're not getting any of the benefits from. When I was uh, in law school, I had a uh, summer internship in the Legal Department of Defense Contractor, and I was reading the the trade press defense industry. And that's when I first realized that the military technology that's 80 to 100 years ahead of what we have in the civilian sector, they're holding it back for, for, for corporate profits. There's no reason for anyone on this planet to be homeless or hungry or sick. Technology exists to obviate all of that stuff starting with the free energy technology, but the med beds and all kinds of, you know, replicator technology. But they, you know, the, the cabal that runs the planet has this sick, you know, ancient Babylonian, Egyptian, satanic worship religion where suffering is a, pa- causing pain and suffering and evil. is a religious ritual to them. I mean, Katie Perry mm-hmm. has come out and cannibalism is not a bad thing Madonna said satan's not a bad guy he's misunderstood i mean these people are insane
3: it's, it is insane and it's it's it, when you realize that this is really happening a lot of people are in such denial that they think this couldn't possibly be really really happening because it's too crazy it's too monstrous it, 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 and they deny it because they don't want to look at it well Nobody wants to look at it because it's so horrible, but if you don't look at it and examine it and and then send the, the guilty people to 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 prison or, or to to pay for their their crimes unless we clear this up it's going to go on and on and on, and more people are going to be hurt and killed and So we really have to look at this no matter how hard it is, and you're identifying okay, and a they, really big point here this this is huge
4: well and of course they distract the people with bread and circus, all this emphasis on sports. What a distraction. And what is sports but symbolic militarism? But, you know, yeah. the video and the, and these video games and people who are addicted to their cell phones and the cell phone technology and the, the news. Hey, man, look at this $50 DVD player I got at the Kmart. Oh, don't think about the atrocities that are being committed in, in third world countries with your tax dollars. I mean, we are involved in military conflict in dozens of places around the world. When those soldiers got killed in niger most people thought what were we doing in niger (laughs) i I Mm -hmm. didn't even know we were there and i follow this wow because what's in niger well distraction
3: like you're saying distraction is a weapon because when you distract people to what's really going on with all kinds of other things that really don't matter that much that's a weapon and a tool and that is being used every single minute, and you can see it all the time. And uh, we got to wake up. The bottom line is we really have to wake up as, as, as a planet, uh, as a country, and realize what's going on. We have to do it, and we've got to do something about it.
4: You know how many people in this country, in my neighborhood, can't tell you the name of the vice president of the United States, but they can tell you the date that the next Brand, the next model of nike sneakers is going to come out and they're going to be <laughs> online for two right. hours you know no. to and that's one of the reasons that a lot of poor people can't get ahead because instead of spending their money on books and saving it for education they're you know they're brainwashed into into spending way too much money on stupid consumerist items that they don't need
2: and right, on that exactly. on that note we need to wrap up uh, today's adventure um, Nick, would you do the honors of getting everybody's contact information?
3: Of course, uh, Marcy. Uh, if, if, if someone would like to uh, uh, contact you, uh, do you want me to uh, to give my number and they could do it through me, or do you want to have a contact direct?
4: No, you, you, absolutely t- through you. They can
3: then you okay. can
4: put them. And then the I, can, I can I uh, can or...
3: pass it on to you. I'd be delighted to do that. So uh, they can reach me by my email, and that is. N I C K N Y N Y the figure one at gmail.com. Again, that's Nick N Y N Y the figure one at gmail.com. And I would pass on any information for Marcy to Marcy, so you may certainly do that. Marcy, I just got to tell you that my heartfelt thanks to you for sharing your amazing insights on so many important subjects. I, I really. I can't thank you enough. You are already asked back for the early fall date. We'll look and see what's good for your schedule. And we can go into some other areas that uh, you're very much uh, uh, interested in and active and aggressively active about. And I, I really look forward to those other subjects also.
4: Well, thank you for having me, Nick. It's always a pleasure to converse with you. And thank you, Hercules.
2: And thank you You're an awesome guest uh, We're going to take a brief musical break We're going to listen to Cauldron Born By Dave the Bard And then we'll be back with Unarium Revelations Thank you once again uh, Nick And thank you once again Marcy
3: Love to all Love to all Love Bye bye Love to all Blessings
2: Bye, bye.
0: How the land is bathed in silver hue. You feel so lonely. Come with me and let me show. There are others just like you who feel the powers of Earth seeing of the night hear the call of our ancestors of blood and bone of To the powers of earth, sea, and sky, of dragon and fairy, and shades of the night, he calls to his ancestors of blood and bone. the cauldron Children, the cauldron.
2: of Olympus. Our next segment is Unarian Revelations and today we have Tracy Lynn Kennedy and Jennifer Stovall continuing our conversation on the Interplanetary Confederation. Greetings and welcome Tracy and Jennifer. How are you?
4: Uh,
2: Doing great.
5: How are you Hercules?
2: I'm doing fantastic uh, too. We got a new dog uh, from the animal rescue. So If you hear weird noises in the background, that's her trying to get my attention. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening,
5: Hercules. (laughs) Good evening. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. What kind of dog is it? It's a Chihuahua. Oh, Um,
2: boy. We had had a Chihuahua for around eight years, and uh, she passed on. Uh, We Mm. had gotten her from a farm, and it turns out that they were breeding dogs, so she had Uh a lot of... uh, you know, congenital defects, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, we decided to get another dog from the animal rescue, and this one was five years old, and she was a chihuahua mix, and uh, because uh, I'm busy and out a lot, uh, we decided to get another dog to keep our dog company, so mm-hmm. the second dog is a chihuahua, we got her for animal rescue, she's uh, a couple of years old, and she's very talkative. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure you'll make a great home for her. We hope so. We're going to try to get into the best life we can. (laughs) Now, um, I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation, and uh, I don't know if either of you are going to be involved in the the conversation I'm having with uh, Celeste on uh, um, Sunday, Sunday morning. Um, Oh, I will. uh, Oh, Awesome. I guess this show will continue during that conversation. Yeah, Uh,
5: I hope to be there too. Yeah.
2: Awesome. And uh, last time we talked about uh, our arm of the um, Interplanetary Confederation, and we focused on L and Adonis. So before we start with uh, our our Earth and uh, Calium, which are the other two uh, worlds found in that arm. Uh would you mind giving a summary of uh L and Adonis? Sure,
5: sure I'll take I'll, I'll take Idonis. You wanna take L, Tracy? Uh why don't you start with Idonis? Yeah. Okay. So um on um Idonis, uh Macenas was the is the polarity And this was a a beautiful, if you imagine, a pasture land, Grecian landscape. And they um, had a very peaceful existence. Um, They were able to actually transport um, themselves, and they were in contact with other uh, physical worlds. Um, when they made the contact, Uriel was asking, uh, what need do you have? Because everything seemed to be going so well. And the need was for a um, uh, step up in consciousness and the fact that they weren't using technology, that there wasn't a balance there. And a lot of them were not um, progressive. They were using their time for just kind of primping themselves and um Taking a, a, a long vacation, so um, with that, there was I guess that's a nice way to put it. They put um, you're know, projected to the planet into Messina's, um, and um, there was a great uh, step up, and they became more progressive. That's I guess that would be it in a nutshell.
2: Okay, thank you. That, that was very well said. Uh, uh, would you like to add to that, Jennifer? Um, that was Jennifer. That was, yeah, that well, was Jennifer. story. Yeah. No, that's it's it's okay. Tracy, would you like to add to it and expand on that one? No, she gave a great overall summary. Okay, I agree. So we'll move on to L. Who would like to tackle L?
6: Sure, I will. So Electra was one of the um, female polarities on on one of the planets that Uriel contacted, and she, um, Uriel thought she was a male at first because she put in her head and um, not any great spark of light coming through her, and she actually was a female um, who had cut herself off and set herself up sort of as a, um, the planet L was down darker down the to the male on the planet. Mm-hmm. She had cut herself off from others and lived in a tower and had was actually um, electronically synthesized. So yeah. they had a lot to learn and overcome on that particular planet and as with all the planets, once Uriel worked, made that contact. With her. How um, wrong she was thinking! In her consciousness, was able to um, soften her frequency once Uriel provided that healing for the planet. They had a committed term as they all
2: do. Okay, thank you, Jennifer.
5: Would you like to add to that? Um, That pretty well sums it up, I think, as well. Just that she had isolated herself from the people and um she had to overcome and break out of the shell and become you know um relatable and then also um yeah work out her past and see uh see that okay and uh, these
2: worlds when i started exploring the interplanetary confederation uh drew me because uh, um idonus very um Clearly embodied some of the Grecian influence uh, um, in its uh, civilization. Um, L, when I first experienced L, um, I was told that uh, L had been very much in tune with uh, the part of the Mediterranean that I'm from before Greece existed. And uh, we would term their civilization Amazonian. And uh, Lemnos, the island uh, that I'm from, uh, is the island of the Amazons that Jason and the Argonauts uh, encountered. Uh, and oh, interesting. Uh, yes, and there's a city uh, there that's near my ancestral lands uh, that is one of the oldest in Europe. So uh, it's from a civilization mm-hmm. before the ones that we know. And uh, um, also in my exploration of uh, the Interplanetary Confederation, I found several other worlds, some of them surprising, that had these uh, connections. So I was very, very, very much uh, um, attracted to these worlds and spent a lot of time in my meditations uh, there. Uh, and uh, um, so thank you so much for uh, the summary those. Uh, before we proceed with the other worlds in our arm, um, can you summarize what is the difference between an IPC and non-IPC world? Sure.
5: Hello? Tracy? Yeah. Tracy, you're breaking you up. Be- or did you-
2: no,
6: yeah, I'm here. No. Can you hear me now?
2: I yeah. can hear you now. Okay.
6: Okay. Not sure what happened. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, this was something that was set up by Uriel and the Space Brothers, um, I believe over a million years ago, that these planets in the Milky Way galaxy are at strategic points, and Uriel um, initiated, actually um, overshadowed these different polarities to um, be taken to each of these planets and to serve as the spiritual leader. Well, over time, they lost that, for that connection with their higher self, although they, they all had some type of development. And the planets evolved in different ways. And um, they're Earth planets, just like the rest of the planets. But the difference between a planet that's part of the interplanetary Confederation is to have a specific um, strategic location, but more importantly, um, uh, uh, lessons and information that they can all and we can all share with one another. So there's a tremendous amount of learning involved. And Muriel recontacted each of these polarities, which are actually um, part of herself which is something, vast concepts, that she overshadows each of these polarities.
0: Wow.
6: Uh, yeah, which is quite a concept. But yes. um, they, in some way or form, after she made contact with them, would psychically remember her as either Iona, Shana, Ioshana, many of the different names that um, we know Uriel as, and recognized her frequency and who she, who she was. And with, with that contact that Uriel had with each of these polarities, and the healing and the instructions to um, go to the lens, to um, inquire of the lens for whatever specific problem they had, they would get answers and insight, and each of these planets was healed and um, put back on a pathway of a, essentially a joining of science and spirit. Whatever particular problem they were lacking or information they were lacking, they were able to get answers and help the people on their planets um, live in harmony with you know, a reattunement to their higher self Um, utilizing the principles of Unarius. And so what's happened is planet Earth has been asked to be the 33rd linking member. There's 33 planets and 32 are now joined in consciousness. So we're the laggard planet waiting to, and Uriel made contact with our planet uh, many, many times, uh, waiting for us to then hook up with the Interplanetary Confederation so it will increase that much more information that we'll be able to share and learn from one, one another and travel back and forth between the planets as they're doing now and has been done in previous civilizations on our planet.
2: That is incredible and something definitely worth striving for. Jennifer, would you care to expand upon that?
5: Wow, she covered it so well. Um, the only thing is uh, to add is that these these arms that you talked about, um, and the positioning of the polarities is very important for the step of in the vibration of these um, of all of the planets throughout these solar systems. So and galaxies. So they could foresee that a million years ago, and that's when this plan was put into. Um, or they started to lay the the blueprint, and then um, with the development of the lens um, that was put together so that when that polarity came into cycle, um, it was time, there was a certain cycle that Uriel made the contact with that polarity to step up, and that's why um, things happened so quickly. And with that connection, they came into that full awareness of, who they are, their plan, and why they were there. And these polarities are also known as a duplicate of, well, not a duplicate, but um, an extension of this infinite consciousness of Uriel. And Uriel standing for the universal, radiant, infinite, eternal light. And so they all work together. It's not it's not singular. So it's kind of they have met each other before and had this development and and this is just a continuation of that development and moving it forward. So very exciting.
2: Yes, very uh, so Uriel is uh, a lot more expansive in her consciousness than uh, most people can conceive because that's vast.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and her consciousness is infinite and here um we've come to understand how she has she's um actually a conduit for the archangels for Raphael, Michael, Muriel, and Uriel all together and that here on planet Earth that psychic anatomy was transferred to her. Um, with the with the uh, trans uh, transference, uh, or we would say passing of uh, Ernest L Norman, or the moderator, and that she was then um, her psychic anatomy contains the four of the hierarchy.
2: And so she embodies all four of them. Are
5: they also aspects
2: of her? Um, as well Or uh, do they form Like a greater totality
5: They form a greater totality I mean it is a um, You know they, They're soulmates Biocentrics and then Archangel so there are Those beings beyond them This is as far as we've come To conceive
6: Yeah they've actually um, The four of them are actually called the quadrocentric. And mm-hmm. working together and um, almost as one but, but yet still separate consciousness uh, and it's a vast concept I and mean, they're the most yeah. advanced beings that we know of and yet they're the first ones to say there's so much more beyond what um, we're sharing with you that we beyond estimates dimension so it's just so vast that it blows our minds to try and understand more than what we're trying all the time and and expand
2: our consciousness with um, these interdimensional and that's one of the things again that I admire about uh, the Unarius uh, teachings and why I'm so resonant with them they force you to stretch your mind way past whatever mental constructs are keeping you back uh, because you have the vastness of uh, space time uh, and you have other dimensions and other vibrations and uh, So, it it really breaks uh, the mental constructs that keep you limited in your thinking and and forces you to think uh, larger uh, if you want to understand the teachings.
6: So true. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's ongoing. You can read the same Mm -hmm. narrative 20 times and get more out of it each time and learn a different concept or see it in a different way as you expand consciousness and are
4: rebuilding your
6: higher self. So, it's Levels and it's, um, what I love about Unarius, it's not a static book that you're reading. It's there's infinite intelligence impinged within all the texts and all the DVDs and, and anything that Unarius um, puts out. So it's 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 constantly evolving. And our to the degree that we're open to um, our higher self and learning more, we learn that much more.
5: Right, because it attunes you to that. That infinite consciousness, and I know when I've been reading the um, these polarity uh, books again, um, we've read them, we've heard them in class, and every time it's just more information. It's like another layer, and it's 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 just so exciting, and it's it really is a whole different type of book than you would find elsewhere because of of its uh, fourth dimensional impingement of the energies. From these beings.
2: Who are us (laughs) in (laughs) in various aspects of ourselves. And and that's amazing too. Uh, We've spoken of it before, but one of the concepts that continues to blow my mind whenever I uh, contemplate it is that there is no uh, time, or the time is something very different than uh, what we believe it to be. And in meditation, you reach certain um I, I guess milestones where you experience that and it really changes your perspective. You know, it, it places you in the eternal now and there are endless possibilities and there's a plan and you start getting glimpses of that plan and you realize how wonderfully the universe is put together. And that's mind boggling. Yeah. Right. It is. And we've now,
5: all
6: experienced that many times and um we call being transcendent, you're you're essentially out of your body and you're in Mm tune with your higher self. And you're right. There is no such thing as time in those
2: moments. Now, both of you mentioned the lens. Uh, For folks who haven't uh, heard previous uh, shows that we've done, can you explain the lens a little bit
5: more? Well, um, I think of the lens as a very positive internet of the most positive thoughts from the most advanced beings. And it's existing on, um, it's said it's po- poised in the abstract, but it um, contains these uh, the thoughts of these um, higher celestial beings that have basically created this, or not basically, but they have created this um, through the many... Evolutions and progressive evolutions, and it's a um, a device that is being used for communication, for healing, um, for many different serves many different purposes for instruction, and um, it's our future. And it's also um, a means by which um, a lot of the advanced beings no longer have to reincarnate because. They have that intelligence is going into the lens, and then that can be downloaded from those that are progressing in their future. That's a way to start about it because it's very vast.
6: It is, and it's also um, Uriel's consciousness uh, yeah. because she is such an advanced um cosmic being that that's one of the things that the brothers related at one point is that the lens is Uriel's consciousness. But I like Jennifer's description of it, of of this very advanced form of an internet, because whenever we want to find out anything, we go to the internet and we ask, well, the lens works the same way, only you're using your mind and, um, and, and not for ego, not for selfish purposes, but for how can I better myself? How can I help the polarities? How can I help the people on my planet? And the answers would come in the most unique, unusual ways that you could never think of with your conscious mind. But yet when you're open to your higher self working in conjunction with the lens with this vast storehouse of infinite intelligence that um knows all, sees all and it's not it's in a very positive way that, to get those answers and that's what is so fascinating when you read the context um the context, the and the problems that they had, the just the intelligence that came through to get the answers of how to help the people and how to turn the different problems around or um, it's just amazing. And, and as Jennifer said, when you, um, you know, we go back and we re- read these contacts, it's just, I've been reading and studying for the past week, um, planet Vixal who had mm-hmm. robots, they called them the electrodes and helpers. And I know this isn't the planet that we wanted to talk about, but just, the draftness of the problem, problems that they had with these electrodes for, I think it was 200,000 years they lived with mm. these electrodes. You can imagine how attached they were to them. And the answers that they got from the lens of how to um, take them apart, how to get the people to not think toward these robots, because they were constantly giving their thoughts toward the robots. And um, that was creating obsessions. And it was it's just absolutely wonderful to see how infinite intelligence works when we're open to that. So um, yeah the lens is a very vast concept but it's there to help all of us and it's not exclusive to the Interplanetary Confederation leaders. It's inclusive for everyone.
2: Right. So one can through uh, how would one access the lens? Would it be through meditation?
5: Be attunement to okay. um, right, through through their higher self. And, it's, and learning about the lens. I think um, it does take preconditioning and an understanding um, and you know, everyone is at a different point but that I see it as our future And as we're learning more about it and it's growing. I mean, let's see, when Uriel um, was in the physical, she said it's as big as our planet. So that was then and wow. it keeps growing. So yeah, it's a lot to conceive but that is the idea that um, we will be contacting the lens and are contact, contacting the lens. Um, so, that is something each person will be doing for themselves when they're on the progressive evolution. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Tracy, would you like to add to that? Um,
5: she covered it well.
2: <laughs> You're both awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Answers.
5: Well, uh, you're a catalyst if we are.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and for folks who want to learn more, there's an IPC website that is phenomenally comprehensive. And uh, I know that I like visiting every now and again and exploring what's there. And there's lots to explore. Would you care to uh, give us a, a brief uh, overview or tour of the website?
6: Sure. Um So the website is the interplanetaryconfederation.com, and it lists each of the 33 planets um, with a brief description. It has um, beautiful images on each page, uh, and the images were created by a student, Jeff Swanson, back in the early 1970s after Uriel had made contact with the planets, and um, so it has an image of each of the planets with the spiritual polarity. Uh, sometimes it depicts, like it has different visions, it's kind of like a montage image of um, whatever was wrong on their planet or might might be psychic vision that the polarity had when they saw Yuri out in the mind's eye, um, might be uh, power. They're each just 33 different images that he created, and their drawings, original drawings, that are about, about two feet by – about 18 inches wide by two feet high, and they're just—they're beautiful to see. There's so much information there. So each web page has the um, the image. It has a description of the planet and polarity. There's also um, that you can click on an audio contact and you can listen to the to a couple of minutes of talking to the spiritual polarity, the actual transmissions that came through from Uriel and the two students who served as the Transceiver for the polarity on each of the planets. So it's pretty interactive. Um, the descriptions are fairly, um, but it's, it's a great website, a great primer to learn uh, initial contact of um, URL, these different polarities, and the, the problems were and how they were able to
2: overcome them. Awesome. And Jennifer, would you like to expand that?
5: Oh, she covered it so well. I would just add that it is a wonderful reference um, for the Interplanetary Confederation and just, you know, kind of gives an overview and then you makes you really feel part of it because it has the actual recording and Uriel's voice, in, which carries the frequency. So it, it really is a wonderful uh, place to visit for more information. And if both are – I'm sorry?
6: Oh, I was going to – also
5: on um, several books about the interplanetary
6: confederation. I, uh, one called "The Restoration" that Jeff Johnson. It's an actual um, transcription of the talk that, talks that he gave at the First World Conclave over several days, where he presented the pictures and he gave. Them, um, and it was made
5: in the book. Yeah, so that's
6: a book. Good...
5: I think you're breaking. I don't know. On my phone, you're breaking up a little bit, Tracy. You're, again. you're
2: breaking up on the board too a little bit. Am I?
5: I'm not sure. How how about now? No, no, no,
2: Tracy, not Jennifer. Now it's better. Okay. Okay. Okay.
6: So anyway, I was explaining that there's a book called The Restoration that's a um, great introduction to the Interplanetary Confederation. And it's an actual transcription of uh, the talk and presentation that Jeff Swanson gave at the First World Conclave. Um, back in the 1970s where he presented all the drawings that he did and then talked about each of the planets. And he did it over the course of um, several days because it was a lot of information. But it's it's a wonderful book to read too as well.
5: And I was Uh, just going to add that um, when he made these illustrations, he psychically went to that planet and he was having – Uh, Discussions with the polarity, like they might say, um, you know, my hair. I think that was with a um, a Messinus of Idonis said, um, women wear their hair over the shoulder because he was going to draw it like it was in front. So he was constantly he himself experienced a visitation with each one of these polarities, which was so beautiful.
2: That that is awesome. And to those at home who haven't uh tried uh this form of communication uh through uh reading and becoming uh, familiar uh or preparing yourself, as uh Jennifer said, pre preparing yourself, it is remarkably effective and it's very surprising the depth of some of the information that uh, you receive. It's uh, uh it's it's absolutely mind boggling. I'm using that word again today. Today Mm -hmm. instead of all, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but but it is you get very clear answers uh, that uh, leave you a lot to think about afterwards. Uh, I remember uh, Ferris, the uh, planet Ferris. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really think I'd find anything uh, that would um, you know be. relevant to my particular inquiry, uh, but no, I got a lot by uh, meditating uh, on there. Uh, one of the things I was told was that the the word was the Greek word feros. And those are the towers in Greece that had light, the giant lighthouses, like the one that they had outside of uh, Alexandria. Uh, oh yeah. In, yes. And uh, I was given a, a long uh, lesson in, uh, um, you know, these towers and the towers that are on all the different uh, uh, planets and on ours and Tesla. And, and I was very surprised because, again, I didn't expect to find much uh, when I did my uh, uh, spiritual visiting. And instead I got a lot out of there.
5: That's very interesting. And um, also interesting is I actually went to this site about 20 minutes before we came out, which I haven't visited in, I don't know, a very long time. So I brought up Paris, I mean, planet Ferris leader link, and it says the temple Helios would become the center of the new scientific city, which they were building at the time of the contact. So that was really cool.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. and, and that too, it, it goes to the lighthouses, the light, and uh, um, and in the uh, image that was uh, created, uh, that's even evoked uh, through the image.
5: hmm
2: hmm
5: yeah, and Uriel, there looking a lot like, uh, not like, but a goddess, which was one of the expressions that in her higher self. Yeah. Well, Uriel has
2: been a goddess. Uh, several of her incarnations uh, spawned mythologies in which she was uh, deified. Mhm. She was Poseidon. I mean, yeah. she was She uh, was King Arthur. There were there were a lot of different. Uh, Um, beings that uh, um, through which she embodied and expressed herself that uh, uh, are clearly part of our spiritual mythological heritage and that they guided humanity through the works that they did. Yeah, that is true. And this earth, uh, Uriel is the polarity of this earth, is that correct? Yes. So As the polarity of this earth, she she has incarnated many times um, and sometimes like under a heading like Poseidon as Poseidon, she incarnated a number of times uh, as uh, Poseidon uh, before uh, incarnating under other like uh, umbrellas or identity umbrellas or overshadowing uh, entities. And each one, she seems to have had a focus uh, in particular uh, areas. So the inference that can be drawn is that Uriel still guides us uh, through uh, Unarius and through other uh, efforts.
5: Yes, definitely.
6: Yeah, that's true. And what's interesting is how she chose to incarnate as different individuals who would be um, appropriate for that particular time period of whatever civilization needed the help and just so many different incarnations and so many different um, personalities, but the one commonality was that hookup with the higher self and um, her ability to be of service and to be that leader that was, in, you know, had that integration from the development of that cosmic consciousness, overshadowing that individual,
5: and to bring through that healing energy and that positive energy to keep Earth moving forward.
2: So for people who would like us to be part of the interplanetary uh, confederation, uh, we weren't ready uh, when she came here, but uh, part of the mission of uh, Unarius is to prepare us so that we are ready in in the future. Um, What can we do to help uh, bring that about uh, um, as as we're living here on this world?
6: Well, continual openness to your higher self, to, um, learn about these beings that live on these other planets to learn most importantly about yourself and to take responsibility for yourself and to understand this concept of continuity of life and be open to um, meeting people from other worlds, being open to meeting and learning people in general and recognizing all of us are spirit beings. Um, One of the uh, on a very easy level and is something that unarius does every year is we host an annual event called the interplanetary confederation day celebration this year it's october 12th and 13th and throughout the weekend we do various things to introduce people and learn more about these um interplanetary confederation planets and um, if you're not able to attend in person it's a two-day event we stream most of the events live so that's a way that people who want to learn more about what's happening can um, watch or listen, or um, if you're able to make it to San Diego to El Cajon, come and visit with us because anybody who participates in a conclave will tell you it's the most transcending highlight of your, you know, of your life. (laughs) It just every year it changes you because um, as we're all gathered together and there may be, 25. There may be 50. There may be 150 people throughout the weekend that come and go because we'll have open house and we'll have workshops, creativity workshop, past life therapy workshop. There's always um, speaking, singing, exploration and creativity and inspiration. And then the weekend concludes with the transmission from the Space Brothers. But what happens is, is you're together with the people on that weekend. All these beings on all these other planets of the Interplanetary Confederation are celebrating at the same time and projecting to us on planet Earth so that we can recognize that, you know, feel the love from them in our heart, in our consciousness, recognize that they're with us in group consciousness, and they want us to progress and have the same healing that they've all had, because once we do, it's going to move our whole galaxy forward in our infinite progression so it's an exciting time to be uh, awake and aware and know that this vast plan is moving forward and that we all have a,
5: a role to play in that. And Uriel started this Interplanetary Confederation Day when she was with us, and that consciousness, as everyone will uh, tell you, is still here, just as strong, stronger, stronger, um, as it grows every year, as that consciousness grows and the awareness grows. And the other thing I was going to add is how can someone take part um, by understanding these interdimensional principles, um, studying the books. just wanted to start with A Voice of Venus. There's also The Infinite Concept of Cosmic Creation. That's our, the lesson book. But... I know that a person would be drawn to other books as well. They will if I want to use the term speak to you. Um whatever you're drawn to as you know Hercules, <laughs> you've been drawn to a lot of different lot books of them, throughout yeah. the years. Yeah, so it will you will be guided um when you're, you know, in touch with your higher self, but um it is really uh wonderful so that consciousness continues throughout the year but that really is uh, Uriel set it up as the uh, second weekend in October that is great or they're about, the, yeah.
2: on my uh, list of places I would like to go to you know, experience this first hand um, I might be speaking in California in February so mm-hmm. uh, if, if that comes to pass I definitely want to swing down to El Cajon so I'm aiming for that great well
6: that would be great. We on the second or third weekend of February celebrate our anniversary, so it's another big weekend. That's um, not quite as big as the conclave, but it's still usually a event where we do a lot of different things. So if you could be part of that. That would be fantastic. I, yeah. I
2: would love that. Um, yeah. So Uriel uh, came here, and the guys that, that uh, she came now is uh, most recently is Ruth uh, Norman. And uh, the only other uh, planet we haven't covered in this particular arm and spiral is uh, Calium. Yeah.
6: Um, right. Calium planet, uh, or Konya, was or is the uh, spiritual polarity. And when Uriel contacted him, he was this um, tall, over six foot tall, young man with um. Charlotte, you know, beautiful blue eyes, and he actually was only 12 years old, but recognized by um, the leaders on the planet as someone with, of great intelligence because he, um, at five years old, was describing how physics works and just had this intelligence that was unheard of. So um, when he met Uriel, when Uriel started talking to him, he um, was able to psychically see her and... Uh, began to, you know, recognize and realize that he had traveled with Uriel, I think it was like 100,000 years before, and he he knew her as Iona. So it was, um, and Jennifer, can you fill in more of what was not happening on their planet or what they needed help with?
5: Well, as he put it, they had um, electronic they they were really well versed in electronics but he he used the word uh, but they needed help with moral fiber which later said that they were i think they were getting a little too off in pleasure seeking is the way that it was put so they had a lot of the foundations and understanding of electronics and but they um they weren't going forward and um he was going into the temple um he uh, the, what was the 32 other scientists at that time and um he was known as the most the smartest person on the planet um and he was checking the dials and Uriel came in and it totally uh lit up the screens, which was totally amazing to him and then when Uriel started to speak with him, he quickly started to have his memory come back um, and it was really a short time in terms of his awareness and remembering um, coming in uh, Uriel coming in the spaceship and making a draft for the temple and the architecture, and actually, I think it was 180,000 years before um, that that she had come, that they had come in the spaceship. So he was the only one who knew how to work in this temple, and so he was given that opportunity. And um, when it started, he was just, you know, he was so they said quizzical, so amazed at what was going on, and. Um, Then they had these crystals, uh, inverted crystals, and in between there a beam of energy and Uriel appeared um, in the projection and then projected to all of these scientists, and that was really the beginning of their progression. And the planet itself is known for this wonderful uh, material, crystalline material, um which is they were using for they're going to be using for making lenses and helping other planets in the end so there's a lot more but I was just fascinated fascinated reading these you know reading more yeah, about it, it
2: it is it is very fascinating um and are the worlds that are in a particular arm uh, related to each other uh, in some way? Is is there like a different vibration for each of the arms?
6: That's a good question. I'm not aware of that.
5: Okay. I'm not either. I'm just aware that the planets that are closer to the cent- center, um, the center, the source, um, energy, um, are more developed than those on the outer, such as we are on, yeah. So we're on the outer. But in terms terms of the vibration and what those are, I don't have that answer. Yeah, we're
6: on the outer arm.
5: Yeah, we're on the outer arm. Mm -hmm. The the complete
6: outer edge.
2: Yep. And the source that's portrayed in the middle almost like a central uh, sun um, is that actual or symbolic? That representation. I believe it's symbolic. Mm-hmm.
5: Okay.
6: It's not an actual sun, but it is. I
5: I. I don't know. It's. It's a huge energy. Configuration. Um, right. Now.
2: There are, as we've uh, uh, mentioned before, non-IPC worlds, and some of these are very uh, developed uh, as well. And uh, some of the things, like there's a Grecian period uh, in many of the world's evolution, uh, some of the um, challenges that are faced by different worlds, be they IPC or non-IPC, um, are like, for instance, the robotic uh, phase that you had mentioned, uh, yeah. That's something that we went through here in Lemuria, and now it's touching upon our reality again uh with uh, the, the chips and uh yeah all the computer surveillance and yeah so uh we may be going through that period again, and other planets are are challenged with the same type of uh, um, uh, I guess challenges um are there a finite number of uh, challenges or categories of challenge as we undergo these earthy incarnations uh, or is it truly uh, unique to the people that are uh, moving through a particular reliving?
6: Well, my understanding is that there's no limitations. So okay. in terms of are there finite? I, I don't think so because it's infinite and I'm continually amazed at the different scenarios and situations that have happened on the planets that we know about. And yet there are a lot of similarities in terms of, oh, I'm sorry.
2: Oh, you got a my puppy too. Person. Oh
6: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's one year old today. He's still a puppy. Happy birthday. Aww. Happy <laughs> birthday, possible. Cooper.
2: I have to pick Thank up my you. dog and put her on my lap. Otherwise she would have yowled okay. For the entire Okay. Okay. <laughs>
6: But, um, how what variation of the theme that occurs is what's infinite in nature, but yet we still have the same lessons to learn and the same principles to learn of how we function, how the world around us functions, and so that's what would be a constant. But the you know, the amount of problems or scenarios that a particular planet can go through is infinite in nature, and but yeah, we like you talked about, that's a good um, analogy with the artificial intelligence and the robot, you know, robots that has occurred on many, many different planets and many different, form, many civilizations, many different forms. And it's something that's becoming very much a reality on um, our planet now.
5: Right. That uh, And that, I was going to say that too, is that um, it is infinite. So it's not, doesn't have a limit, but, you know, there are so many different beings and life forms. And I know the book, um, uh, Traveling, well, it's the Starship Voyager book. Yes, uh, Exploring the Universe uh, they, the
6: Starship Voyager. Right,
5: Exploring the Universe the Starship Voyager. And they go to different planets, and sometimes they can't. You know, they give that information, and, and this uh Starship Voyager is from uh Vixal, and they come um to help and to give as much understanding but they can't always uh help and they can't interfere you know, they can't, that's yeah they cannot interfere um they can give whatever is is possible and that um, understanding, which is very similar to what Uriel has done. You know, She has come so many times and, and given that understanding and seeded this planet in all these different countries, but it wasn't always understood or picked up, and so you know, we're given that opportunity again.
2: And that is very fortunate uh, for us, because uh, uh, it seems like, uh, as Collectively, we have a very difficult time learning our lessons uh, here and retaining uh, <laughs> what we learn. Yeah, it's so true. So yeah. So being a Unarian is an exciting spiritual uh, adventure. Uh, and uh, in time, uh, it's something that lasts for extraordinary amounts of, uh, of, of time. Um, is there an ultimate purpose? Uh, to our uh, incarnational experiences in the Unarian revelations,
5: I say well, yes. <laughs> uh, an ultimate
6: purpose is to continually learn and and grow, grow and to mm-hmm. and be of service, which is what these advanced beings, these space brothers, are. Is their whole purpose and reason for being is to do that and to constantly be giving of self and Um, they work together in group consciousness they're creative, they're expressive they're um, constantly learning and constantly projecting love to those of a lesser development with no judgment because they've been there, they've done that, they understand but yet there's, there's not a point where, there's not a nirvana where you're at the end and you say oh my gosh I've made it, it's continual and as you said earlier Uriel And the moderator talk about that throughout the text, that they know that there's more beyond the 10th dimension that they're looking up to and learning. So it's just ongoing, but we're on the very beginning plebeian, third dimensional, slow as molasses, egos as big as can be, brains as tiny as can be, reliving our past, starting point. But it's exciting to be a student because we know that there's infinite potential and and we can see, literally see the light and say, I don't know anything, but, boy, I know there's so much more I can learn and so much joy and inspiration I can feel as I study and and let go of this past and accept that hard, um, hard rock of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that and letting it go and being open to spirit and the help that we get making those positive changes and then when we change we see that change within everyone around us so it is a wonderful wonderful very difficult but very wonderful opportunity to be a student and it's not exclusive to unarius these principles are available in so many different forms in so many different ways it just is now up to date with the scientific aspect combined with the, um, the spiritual and the philosophical um, veins that were, you know, present in the Grecian era, but now it's brought up to date where it's much more comprehensive and um, challenging, but um, just
5: more complete way to
6: study and learn
5: about life. And and well, the benefits are so incredible. And, I mean, Tracy said so beautifully. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I was going to add Uriel would say, I'm just one small cog in the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she that would hum- say. I think we yeah, heard her a Yeah,
6: the humility few times. that yeah. you experience from them is its just such a wonderful concept to conceive. And, and when you feel one small mode of humility, it's like, wow, I can't believe how big my ego was because I feel so humble now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, yet that's how they function all the time. hmm
2: And that's a very worthwhile thing to be doing and something to be looking forward to, uh, that, uh, you know, once you've learned your lessons, you can help others learn theirs, uh, Mm -hmm. because ultimately and eventually we're all energy and we're all one. So uh, if you don't do that, you just perpetuate uh, uh, the tumultuous uh, experiences that we're currently undergoing.
5: And and also the beauty is you don't have to necessarily say anything you know with that positive consciousness that positive consciousness goes out and touches so many people and they receive what they need so it's the whole yeah it's it's, it's an incredible way to live
6: the other aspect is um
5: recognizing that
6: those of us who are studying and attempting to apply the principles to our lives, we're not teachers. We're not um, way showers. All we are are students of life and we hope in the most humble way possible, we can be examples to others. Through what Jennifer just talked about is that, um, you know, when we're attuned with our higher self, we're a conduit for the space brothers to come through us and project to other people, to everyone that we know around us, so that they feel that love, and they may not know what it is, it may not, um, they may not understand it, but yet they feel something that they don't feel from a lot of other people, and that's the difference, that's the, um, the love that Uniris is, love and action coming through us to the best of our ability.
2: And that is a phenomenally powerful place to leave today's uh, conversation. So thank you uh, to both of you. Um, We have a couple of minutes. Uh, Can you share how folks can explore more about uh, Unarius?
5: Definitely. Um, Go to unarius.org, www.unarius.org. There is the Facebook page. We stream classes you can sign up and that's on Sunday and Wednesday evenings. And They start at 7 o'clock and you can see them if you can't make Pacific that evening time. they're recorded. specific time. <laughs> and then we have the events. Um, Tracy? Additional? We
6: have uh, well those are going to be on our web page but as we talked about we have our anniversary event in February about the second or third weekend of February. We have the um, Interplanetary Conclave of Life Celebration, October 12th and 13th, and then we have on, I believe it's August 18th, is a special class on creativity, um, where students are going to express different aspects of creativity. Um, And we have different events throughout the year that people are, and we, we post it on our um, web page, and if you sign up for our email list, which you can do on our web page, we let you know about things that are happening and we don't bombard you with a ton of, um, we just let you know what's happening. Um, we ha- we air on public access stations around the country and one station, LA 36, which you, again you can check this out on our website. We have about 20 shows that you can access on demand. It might be more than that now, I'm not sure. Um, and then several stations actually um, air our shows live, so you can watch them live on um, the internet. So we also are on Instagram, so you can follow us on Instagram. So there's a variety oh, and then you can email us at URIEL at unarius.org. and our website is www.unarius.org. Www.unarius, And um, Facebook page, just type in Unarius and we should come up and like us. And again, we don't post lots of stuff, but what we do is very interesting. There's a lot of ways that you can find out and you can call us, you can email us and we're happy to talk, answer questions. And if you're obviously, if you're in San Diego area, please come and visit Um, on our website. You can Google tour the Unarius center, which is absolutely beautiful, but even better is visiting it in person because You'll um, be taken on the ride of your life when you see how beautiful Mm -hmm. the Temple of Light
2: is. (laughs) Thank you to both of you. Uh, They're going to shut us off in a second or two, but thank you so very much. Uh, This was awesome. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank Thank you so much, much, Hercules. Hercules.
6: Appreciate the opportunity, and good luck with the new puppy. dog. (laughs) Thank you very much. Happy
2: birthday to your puppy.
0: Bye, Hercules. Bye, Jennifer.
2: Bye Bye, Tracy. Bye,
0: Hercules.
1: Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyful.